0: Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Chris Abdullahi, who's the founder of The Sound of Sickle, which is an amazing organization based in the UK. It's all about advocating for sickle cell patients and their loved ones. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for being here and inviting me.
0: Ah, total pleasure. And I'm so glad this worked out because actually you just had a pretty long stay in hospital, one of your longest in a very long time. Yeah. So um, you're well now, which is great news. But why don't we go back to the beginning of your story? Can you tell us how and when you first realized you were sick and what you've done to maintain control over your health?
1: So I was diagnosed with, with sick so when I was three years old I did remember. you know
0: that there was already like a a genetic link in your family
1: so my mom funnily enough she knew but she didn't really kind of like pay too much attention to it I mean right. I guess in that in that in that generation it was more about kind of surviving than anything else than thinking about kind of long-term effects of children and stuff like that and I don't think there was even as much you know awareness or conversation around it um in her generation. So, I mean, there's multiple reasons that, you know, as to why I've been brought yeah. into the world. Well, so, but,
0: well, part of, of what you're doing is bringing awareness. So that's. Yeah. You know, and I think
1: that's, that's, for me, that's a very important thing is more the awareness than anything else. I think cures are always going to be found and, you know, prevention's better than the cure, in my opinion. So,
0: mm, interesting. Okay. I so we're going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> so you were yeah. diagnosed at three. And did you get diagnosed because you went through a crisis?
1: Yeah. So a lot of people, a lot of children, when they're first diagnosed, they, it's, they have a crisis, but not like a full crisis. Mm. So, a lot of the time, it's they're diagnosed because they're just there's pain, and they can't really pinpoint the pain. There's inflamed joints and like everywhere swollen, they don't really know why. They do blood tests and, they don't really, and they're and they not really sure. That's kind of like what the issues are, what the causes for it. And then they did a blood test on me, and it was like a genome, a hemoglobin test. That's what it was. And that's when they found that I had sickle cell. So. And they're like, oh, okay, well. This this is you know this is quite significant. It's a long term condition. I think now kids born you know post two thousand or maybe post nineteen ninety nine are are tested with this from from the back. So any child born in the UK is tested um see if they have sickle cell or any other blood um related disorders.
0: Is this regardless of race? All children are are tested. All all children. Wow, that's great.
1: Yeah. So when I was younger, they wouldn't have that.
0: That like is. Prevalent largely in like Afro-Caribbean.
1: Yeah, yeah, Afro-Caribbean communities. But there are instances of it, um, you know, being found in hispanic communities um in the asian communities and there's also cases where it's been found you know in, in white communities as well hmm. although you know it's far and few between but there are cases where it does happen and i think well in
0: case white people are looking for a reason to give a damn that's a great yeah, reason yeah.
1: There
0: you go. <laughs> aside from there the fact you that you should care about other people <laughs>
1: That's the that's the hardest part is getting people to donate blood in general. So that you know, yeah. I so when I was in hospital recently, um, I had my second ever blood transfusion. Mm. The first one was when I had my first, what op- first, but my only operation.
0: And the transfusions um, are what keep things under control when you're in crisis. Yeah.
1: So so generally, it's to refresh your blood. So mm-hmm. um people with sickle cell have a lot of sickled blood cells and it affects their hemoglobin. So what, what um, the blood transfusion aims to do is to refresh the blood, so remove obviously all the sickled bloods, then slowly integrate the, um, the non-sickled blood and find a way to balance the hemoglobin, le- hemoglobin levels. Mm.
0: So tell us a little bit about what sickle cell looks like because you've sort of like touched on, we're, we're talking about the words like crisis and the sickled yeah. cells. Can you like give us a little background on, on what sickle cell is?
1: Oh, a quick cr- crash course in sickle cell it's um a genetic blood disorder that can only be passed down from parents mm-hmm. so it's not something that you can you know be transferred you know from blood to blood contact or anything like that um it's when one parent has the sickle um trait or full-blown sickle cell gene which is a deformity in the hemoglobin which forces the red blood cells which are generally donut shaped to become sickle shaped so like mm-hmm. a you know like a crescent and, um, that causes obviously knock-on effects. So it could cause clotting. And when the clotting happens, it, um, leads to pain bouts, which are often referred to as a crisis. Mm. And these tend to happen in joints or places where there's like, you know, whether capillaries or blood vessels are really, um, thin and small to pass through. Mm. So, the, um, those are the main triggers. But obviously there's general knock-on effects from that. And as you can imagine in blood, um, you know, there's chances of stroke at a very young age because the mm. heart's still developing and dealing with the blood. There's chances of, um, Deterioration in the eyes because the back of the eye sickle, and that they cause long term pain. Mm-hmm. There's chances of, um, like, you have just a generally weaker immune system because your red blood cells break down much quicker. Um, your white blood cells are generally always on high alert. So it, it's like kind of like a backhanded thing in the sense that sometimes you may be perfectly normal, but sometimes you, know, you, you won't. So it's, it's literally mm-hmm. treat every day as it comes. And that's exactly what happened, you know with me and how I deal with my sickle cell yeah but a lot of it is dealing with the mental side of things and I think it's what people haven't realized or many people haven't realized when they had their sickle cell is that mentally how you like how mentally like you're impacted generally tends to affect your internal body and that happens with everything let alone sickle cell it's and it's worse with sickle cell because any slight variation in your body can lead to anything else and those knock-on effects kind of cause all kinds of you know kerfuffle
0: yeah absolutely so the the actual triggers themselves can be a wide ranging yeah. array of of various stimuli from yeah. mental health issues all the way to sort of outside physical stimulus as well
1: yeah so you can have crisis from being too hot, being too cold, from catching a common cold from mm. you know being in bed for so long, from not being active, from losing a lot of weight from gaining a lot of weight. Yeah. Everything, yeah. And anything. So it it sounds like you know, like we're living inside like a like a blanket. You have to kind of fear everything around us. Yeah,
0: it's think, like boy in the bubble, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like that, but I think it's you know it's, just, it's part of life. And I think once you have six so there are certain things. you Obviously, you do modify in general. Mm. So generally, I don't go swimming because you know, getting cold and not be able to heat myself up quick enough mm. leads to a crisis and. Being too hot, you know, if I don't drink enough water, I don't fill out my blood and suddenly my blood is thick and clotting, you mm. have a problem, I have a crisis. Right. So there's a lot of, you know, different ways that everyone looks after themselves. I think i one of the worst examples of looking after myself. So I don't promote myself as the best advocate for looking after my sickle cell, but it does go straight to the, the spectrum of sickle cell in the sense that some people and some people I know have blood transfusions every two weeks. Mm. Some people have blood transfusions every, every month. Is this as a
0: preventive thing, or just when they're in crisis?
1: Just as a preventative. Ah, interesting. I've only had two blood um, Mm -hmm. blood transfusions in my entire life. One was this Mm -hmm. recent admission, and the other time was when I had surgery. So, wow, yeah, that's that's the entire spectrum Mm -hmm. right there. Some have it regularly, and there's me that have it has it irregularly.
0: And do you think it's also because you're younger right now and you're like quicker to bounce back? Like maybe your immune system's a little stronger in general. Like maybe in a decade it might be different.
1: Potentially. And I think it's weird in, in the sense that a lot, of, a lot of articles have referenced and said that generally you grow out of sickle cell, quote unquote, grow out.
0: Really? And people I have sh- said that?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's, there's articles that say the older you get, the, IQ, the less the sickle becomes prevalent in your body. That
0: sounds a little bullshit to me. Who wrote yes. that? <laughs>
1: yeah, it is. Let's but... call a
0: spade a spade. That doesn't sound accurate. Sickle I, cell doesn't just go away.
1: <laughs> Suddenly, yeah, you don't just grow out of it. It's not like shoes or clothing. Suddenly <laughs> no. so, I just got to leave it alone. Yeah. No, it's not like that. It's really weird. Um, those articles have said that. But I think there is some element of truth behind it in the sense that I think it comes from the side of the mental side of things. And the mm. more control of your body and the older you get, the more you understand your body. So you know what triggers you and what sets you off and sets you down the wrong path.
0: That's true. So it's really just that you gain more awareness and acceptance yeah. of your body
1: as you get older. Just become smarter. I think it's as simple yeah. as that. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And I love that you're addressing the mental health side of this because I think it's something that isn't often addressed in any chronic illness circle, right? Um, and mental illness is included in this invisible and chronic illness circle. But, you know, that there is mental health can have such a huge impact on how your body responds and that that's a part of what you guys are trying to do with the sound of sickle is super exciting. So we know that you were just in crisis and it was a a long stay in the hospital. When we say crisis, it's, it's kind of like saying a flare, isn't it? Um, for people who sort of understand that language as well. So when you're in situations like that, have you learned to become your own advocate or do you lean on others around you for, for help both emotionally and physically when you're going through crisis?
1: um I think now I've learned to and I think when I was younger um like secondary school although probably up until university and it's probably because I didn't know many people who were sickle cell so like me so when I was growing up I met up until I was 21 roughly I met like three people with or so wow so not many and yeah so I mean it's it's rare in itself and then obviously it's limited or highly prevalent in one particular community. So, you know, there, there's a problem, not the problem, there's a conversation around that. Mm. And then obviously there's a lot of parental and cultural things about, you know, you deal with things with religion first and you deal with it at home first. And that plays an aspect into people not talking about it as much. Mm. So when you do have this conversation, when you're growing up, you're not really saying I have sickle cells as a like, you know, a first conversation. Yeah.
0: Or as a Hi, I'm Chris, I have sickle cell. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, it's not part of the introductory kind of speech. Mm. So maybe I have met people that when I was growing up that had sickle cell, but I never knew. So it was I dealt with it a lot by myself. And it's hard to relate. I mean, your mom's gonna, your parents are gonna try their best and say, you know, they're gonna look after you and say, Don't worry about it, you're gonna grow out that you're strong and everything that a parent should say.
0: Mm.
1: But it's hard when you can't relate to anybody directly about what you're going through. You can't have candid conversations and say, look, I feel like, you know, crap today and I can't walk and my back hurts and I can't breathe that much. And whatever's going on with your body, you mm-hmm. can't have a conversation with someone who, who goes to hospital once every 24 years, for example. And that's probably because yeah. they've stubbed their toe. And do you know what I mean? It's, it's something that, hospital hospital being in hospital is, is that kind of like forefront of our mind is that like, you know what I'm in pain going to hospital is what happens anyway so it's uh it's a it's an odd balance but it's a balance that I think you know you, you get and I think growing up it's I, I've learned to rely on my friends more because hmm. I didn't have those those groups when I was younger it's you you do so much alone you do you you stay in your head and that cause you to flare up a lot more and when you start speaking sure. about things and speaking how you feel you start to feel like a weight lifted and you know a problem shared as a problem like solved or a problem halved you know whatever you know, kind of interchangeable yeah,
0: yeah. so uh, it sounds like you were able to rely on your family up until a certain point but you really need yeah.
1: community yeah and I think that's what led me to kind of get to where I am with the science of someone, or just me in general and be more of an advocate about it I think mm. I'd, I'd started to have little interactions and um Think about being an advocate a bit more when I started um, going to Guys Hospital and my, my doctor's hospital, my hospital. Mm. Guys and oh. This Thomas. is
0: one of the major hospitals in London for those who are listening.
1: Yeah. Um, so they said, Chris, like, come speak at our transition clinic. You've been through sickle cell, you've been through the, you know, the the pediatric ward, you've made it through to the adults ward, and mm. you know you're surviving, and you haven't been in hospital that much. It's always great to hear like a positive story about things. And mm-hmm. that's when I met the third person of sickle cell who ended up coming to our university and we mm-hmm. spoke, we had a conversation. I think, again, like I said, I'm a terrible advocate for, you know, looking after yourself with sickle cell because.
0: Yeah. But by the, by the same token, what you said to me before we started this interview was like, I might as well live my life on a certain yep. level too. It's like, you say you're not good at taking care of yourself, but also if you don't allow yourself to have experiences, then are you also holding back in life? And is that going to affect you mentally too?
1: I think that's, that's kind of the mentality that I've adopted is that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Yeah. In general, and that's, you know, let, let me, let me relish every moment. I'm going to get old regardless of what happens. Mm-hmm. I might have a flare up regardless of what happens. So And you might not
0: too. Like yeah, you, yeah. you can't tell whether you might will or won't until it happens.
1: And I think everything's a calculated risk, especially with me. It's it's like you wear out the pros and cons and say, right, is, it, is this going to greatly impact you? Is it greatly going to trigger your sickle cell? And I say no a lot of the time, so I just continue living and having fun. So I was speaking at this transition clinic and I met this young lady. Um, she was like, oh, my God, how are you doing with university? You know, not being around family, having sickle cell and partying and fitting in and all these kind of pressures that come in, come with being an adult and trying to be in uni. And it was the first time I've actually sat there and thought, how do I do it? And I just said, I mean, I just try to live my life. Like I can't, I can't advise you and say, do this and do that because there's not one size fits all for everybody. Sick or so it's, mm-hmm. you know, your body, and you know, how you live. So you know what triggers, what your triggers are. So mm-hmm. adapt and live, you know, the best life you can around those triggers. And I think for her, that was positive to her because she was worried about going to uni and then finding friends and suddenly being in hospital every other week. And I said, look, if you find yourself in those situations, message me and I'll make myself available and I'll, I'll visit you in hospital or I'll come and check on you mm-hmm. on campus or whatever the situation is, I'll, I'll make myself available. And I think that was the start of me doing a lot more advocacy work. It was actually that felt good to have a conversation with someone who's younger than me, who's looking towards what I'm going through. And I'm there, experienced it. And lived it, and said, "Actually, wait, this is, this is great. This is fine. This is positive." Mm -hmm. So it it was a it was a great experience to that to start off there, and then kind of just started to go on a bit more. And my social media account, I never used to tweet about how how I have sickle cell, but then it was. Right, let me just, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to claim to be an advocate, I've got to let people know that I'm in hospital. I've got to speak out about it a bit more because people won't know. They'll just see you, you know, going about your business and think you're great. They'll see your Instagram posts and think, oh, well, he's yeah. he's living life.
0: They only but see the good side. It's, yeah. It's a yeah. filtered view.
1: Exactly that. And, you know, once you, start, once you start to remove that a little bit and give people an actual insight into how you are feeling,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: even people tweet like, oh, my God, I woke up and I can't walk or my back is in pain or blah, 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 blah you realize that people are like, oh, my God, what's going on with you? You realize that people, out of this out of or caring, people want to find out more. Hmm. That's what really made me realize, actually, maybe I should just do this regularly and just kind of do something about it. And then that's what led into the Sound of Circle. So yeah.
0: Well, so it sounds like, you know, you started see- seeking community or, in fact, community kind of found you and you accidentally, yeah. like so many of us, ended up becoming an advocate because – you wanted community too, and you responded to it, which is really amazing. We're going to get more into that in a little bit, but I'm wondering what a typical day looks like for you, how you're balancing work and life and and managing your triggers as mm. you go on with your day. What does that look like for you specifically?
1: Um, it's a weird one, and again, because I say I live my yeah. life to the fullest. It's, it's hard. Yeah. to, it's, But I think what I, I, what I do know is that being cold and being severely cold is one thing that ruins my body, so mm. I'm always aware of that. So,
0: and so, I, and you're still living in London?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, man. despite
0: the cold, why haven't you moved to a tropical island yet? <laughs> I mean,
1: London's actually a nice place. As outside the cold, and it's, it's absolutely yes, great.
0: Well, in yeah, London. that's right now. It's really cold over there. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, you deal with it, and I think. Inside London's okay. It's when I started going to Bolton and places like that, I realised, like, bloody hell, this place is absolutely chaps. It's freezing yeah. cold. Like, I don't know how people live here. And when you watch the when you watch the news like London's 15 degrees and Bolton 7 degrees or Leeds is 7 and this
0: degrees, is in yeah. celsius so it's significantly yeah, yeah but, significantly but, different than what everyone's thinking if they're listening in the US.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, you guys do fahrenheit. Oh my god.
0: Yeah, totally different. And we don't do metric system. We have, you know, and we do miles, not kilometers. It's it's so different. We're the only that's ones who backwards. do it too.
1: because I mean, We're backwards judge you. in a lot of
0: ways, Chris. <laughs> Please no, don't. I don't want to be the one Please to say it. I don't
1: want to be the one to say it, but at least at least you guys know it. It's cool. Yep. Um, well, some of us do. <laughs> those that are aware, and that's yeah. it. Awareness is key.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so you try to avoid the cold.
1: Yeah, cold is number one thing. Like, I always avoid the cold. So I've got, Mm. like, if I open my wardrobe, there's a plethora of jackets of every kind of puffy jackets to long puffy jackets to bomber jackets to everything that keeps me warm and everything in between, like, super warm, super cold, whatever. I I have jackets for every kind of weather. Mm. Um, But being cold is always bad. Being hot is fine. I can manage that because I just need to drink a lot more water. Mm. But being cold means that if... I don't manage my temperature properly. I'm absolutely screwed. Like right. cold seeps into my body, gets into my joints. And suddenly I have a crisis in my elbow and I can't write for a, a day or two. Mm. So that, that's like the worst case scenario. And then, um,
0: because also one of the things we, we touched on, and this is sort of part of that question is, and this is something we were talking about before we started the interview again, but yeah. you know, this whole boomer millennial generational yeah. sort of tug of war, right. That like, yeah there is this perception that millennials and younger generations are lazy because the work, they want the work they do to have an impact. Um, And that, whereas, you know, the perspective is, yes, we want to have an impact, but also the system that's been cultivated for us by previous generations isn't working for all of our bodies because so many of us are dealing more and more with chronic illness. So, yeah, I'm wondering, like, if your work-life balance has also come into play here. I know you were talking about sort of changing things up at work too and how you've had to address that as you manage symptoms.
1: Yeah. I mean, luckily most of the places I've worked have been accommodating. I don't go in and say, hi, I've got six off the bat because, again, it's just I think it's just it's not me. And Mm -hmm. there's also a slight thing that I don't really want to be judged before I need to be judged sort of thing. Um, and you're not
0: required to give that kind of information anyway yeah. until you're,
1: you know. Actually, yeah, until you're yeah. ill, or they they require it. They need yeah. a reason. I yeah. think that that that's that's fine for me. And I and I again, I seldom tell people that I've got sickle cell mm-hmm. at work until I'm either that ill, or most time, like if I've got a pain, it's like oh, I've just got a pain, and you just kind of say a pain. And you just use that right. as one overarching umbrella. But um, work, I've been. I've done sales, I've done advertising. I'm, again, I'm still in advertising, but mm. first oh. roll, luckily I wasn't ill once. Second row, I had um, plantar fasciitis, which is flat foot, which is a knock on, which wasn't, it's not necessarily sickle cell related, mm. but I think oh. it became, it came about from my sickle cell, right. which meant my, my foot was basically flat and normally your foot's meant to have like a small arch in it at least. So then I had to have steroid injections in my foot when I was on crutches for the, I was on and off crutches for the best part of two and a half months
0: do you think that so, there's something about the visibility factor when you're using a mobility aid that makes it easier to explain to people like oh i've had surgery or you know like yeah. you can sort of get away with it more
1: like even now that I was, I was on crutches best most of last week and mm. uh i'm still on ish on crutches
0: yeah i can see you've uh, got your crutches right yeah, behind look, you yeah
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, on hand
1: I keep them on close proximity in case something yeah. happens I walk yeah. So this one where I got admitted, I've been in hospital for two weeks and my line manager was checking in on me, which is, it was great. Like I've, he's been fairly supportive, relatively supportive mm-hmm. and he's tried, he's, he's been very accommodating. Um, but this is the longest time I've been in hospital for. So it was really kind of like, oh my God, to them, it was like two weeks out and, you know, there must be something severely wrong, blah, 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 yeah. to be hospital for two weeks. And I came back and then... Um, I then had sciatica. So when I got discharged, mm-hmm. I was discharged. And I had sciatica because I'd been in the hospital for so long. I'd lost so much weight, and I'd mm-hmm. been like, I'm six foot two, and the beds are like, built for like maybe five foot ten, six. Yeah. Foot
0: two so you were hanging off the edge of the bed, getting yeah. sciatica.
1: So I'm kind of like in a futile position, which isn't that like, isn't like the most comfortable for me because I normally mm-hmm. sleep in like a weird like running position. Like if you <laughs> of, like, if you think of the image of someone running, like a flat image, yeah, that's the position I sleep in.
0: So good luck to anyone who tries to share a bed with you. Is what you're saying?
1: <laughs> yes, and I, I've learned to accommodate. But again, I don't like accommodating. <laughs> like, again, like I've honestly sleeping alone is the best thing because I could sleep across my yeah. whole bed and spread. And it's you know, your stuff. it's
0: your version of a spread eagle, yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly, the best thing. So I kind of learned to deal with that, but. um, <laughs>
0: But yeah, so the hospital beds weren't really built for your comfort in that way. single
1: beds and, you know, single beds. No, like once you get old enough, a single bed should not be here for anybody anymore. No,
0: but I suppose it does also in hospitals, what it does is it creates more room.
1: Yeah, and uh, I mean, I'm grateful for that because then they have the one chair for like, you know, whoever's there as a mainstay, but they have little space Mm -hmm. for little chairs around it, which Mm -hmm. is great. But I think it's just, you know, Absolutely annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So basically what happened is that you ended up with additional symptoms after the stay that weren't maybe as bad as the crisis itself, but are ongoing pain issues that you're having to manage.
1: Yeah. So then normally I'll get discharged and I'd like, you know, I have a couple of days off and I'm back into work right ready and raring to go and... Mm-hmm no, not this time it was, I don't, I don't really want to go into work until I feel comfortable because I feel like I'm useless. But also the fact that I'd handed my notice due to like, you know, health reasons, Mm. it's it's like, you want to find a balance of not really taking the piss, but also kind of managing your health the same way. And I think the more a work gives to you, the more you want to give back to them. And I think the last two roles I've had, they've, Given to me, so it's like I want to. I want to. My try my best to go into it because I like people that I'm like, you working know, with. I don't want them handling my workload for no reason. Mm-hmm. So, and and I like not that I like working, but I like kind of being at work. It's just it's just nice, kind of part of a routine. Yeah, you legs, you know I mean, you get into a nice little routine of socialising people outside of your own household or immediate mm-hmm. friendship groups, and it's and it's nice. So then, I had to go in with crutches, and the first years I was in, fine ish. And that's when everyone's like, oh, like this is serious. He's on crutches. Oh my mm-hmm. God. And everyone's like, Oh, Chris, do you want me to do this and do you want me to do that? And it's like, yeah, but I don't really want you to. Yeah. I don't really yeah. want to ask. Because I've that, I know that, you know, I wouldn't really uh, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't, I don't wanna feel I don't wanna feel like I'm ill. Right. But I also know that I'm ill and recovering. So I know people are asking again to If you want to help, out of the kinds of their hearts, and I'm gently rejecting out of the kind of Mm. stubbornness of my own heart, like no, I'm fine. (laughs) A bit of pride at
0: play there, yeah.
1: Yeah, I've got this. Don't worry about it. You know, I (laughs) mean, yeah. Well, that's. I mean,
0: that's a part of the mental health approach too. Is that like you know, how much do we have to put our ego and our pride aside in order to actually accept help when people are offering it, and Conversely, like are people even gonna offer help if you're not walking around on crutches, if they can't see it? Do they know to to offer help? You know, like so I, I think it can get very, very sticky and complicated in those situations.
1: And that's it. I think like when I when I know that I'm like severely ill or I'd rather stay at home because then that way I'm not gonna require any of those additional conversations or have yeah, to manage yeah. those weird situations. Which but just that extra I, stress. Yeah, because they're always weird and people are always weird. There's always this kind of like, how much do I tell you? How much do you want to know? How much actually you actually care about? Do you care? And all these mm-hmm. kind of things. Uh, well,
0: especially at work where it's a professional relationship too. Yeah. and It's not like your friends. So this means that you've actually taken a step back from work now following your crisis, right? Because you realized that you needed to give yourself some more time to recover and take care of
1: yourself, right? So I finished work next, what, Friday coming? Wow. So. Uh, what 28th yeah 28th basically last week of February yeah great day, day and I just kind of like had the month off to recover mm. and I think I need I like I need that because I know my, I felt my body running down I think the older you get the more you sense your body the more you're in tune with all kind of aspects of your body the little tweaks the little stresses the little niggles that have remained there for longer than a, a week a day a month do you know what I mean it's like oh actually mm-hmm. this okay. might be a long-term problem it's not like debilitating or stopping me from moving but it's a niggling problem that I could feel there just kind of in the background sort of thing. Mm. And with six, so you tend to develop a high pain threshold because yeah. you're in so frequently. It's kind of like, well, I'm so much pain. This is, it's, it's nothing to me now. Mm. But um
0: Do you think that's also contribute? Like over here, I hear stories, especially from women of color who've gone through, you know, various like things like endometriosis and other kinds of illnesses, there's this mm. misconception that people of color have a higher pain tolerance just because, which is, we know, yes. Yeah. But do you think that like things like sickle cell where you're developing a higher pain threshold because you're dealing with it, with it more often, that there's some perception that like this is sort of adding to this misconception that, that people of color can take more pain?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's twofold. I think there's a lot of it, it's it's the cult, a lot of it's cultural thing in the sense that you are taught to be strong. Like, like I remember my parents, my mum was like to me, "You're strong," and it was just drilled to me, "You're strong, you're strong, strong." Not even as a man or, or uh, do you know what I mean, like that. It's just it's just you are strong. You will be strong. You are independent. Like no one's going to fend for you other than your family, sort of thing. And there's like there's a lot of that narrative going around, mm-hmm. and from that, it's like you become mentally strong is, is what you know in some aspects but then you mm-hmm. become you start to deal with stuff and to take things in your stride and this taking things in your stride is where the kind of the the guilt edged sword comes from is yes it's great you can take and handle those pains that come in but sometimes those pains are too severe but because you've developed that that I can do it this just take on the chin attitude yeah you you start to ignore the conditions and the effect that's happening on your body in the long term and because again, you are taking things on the chain, you're just riding through pain and you're saying to like, you know, your coworkers, Oh, don't worry, I'm in fine, like my back hurts a little bit, but I'm okay. They're like, all right, fine. They but if it were back. them, they'd be laid up. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Exactly that. And there's there's a lot of times I've come into work when I've been in pain and I've just said, you know what, I'll I'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. And you know, you get in, you tell your you tell your live manager, Oh, I'm in a bit of pain, so I might be a bit slow today. And I remember like mm-hmm. I got told recently that if you call in sick, it's assumed that you're too sick to work at all. Hmm. So calling sick and then trying to work from home doesn't work. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because you're too sick to be in work, so you shouldn't really be working.
0: Hmm. Okay. I mean, that's interesting because over here, like there's more and more companies that are offering like – sort of unlimited holiday in the sense that you can work from home and it gives you more flexibility provided the security of your company is, is, you know, well, well done. Yeah. But you know, that there are more and more people who are doing that to create flexibility for themselves and that that's in turn creating flexibility for people who live with chronic illness and other needs. But it sounds like that's not necessarily the case in the UK, or at least not where you were working.
1: Um, I think unfortunately the role that I'm in client services There's a lot of a face to face role, or a lot of calling right. or a lot of emailing. So it requires a lot of it requires me to be in the office more often than not. Sure. If I if I could be at, you know, home. I mean, to a degree. Mm. I mean, directors on the in can work from home. Mm. But that's because they would have obviously people underneath them that would be able to manage the workload or the face to face conversations that would right. need to be handled. Correct. Sorry, because it's, it's a weird one.
0: Yeah, it's a funny one for that in yeah. particular. So, I mean, it sounds like when you've used a mobility aid, people have readily, you know, offered you help and, and understood that something was up. But yeah. have you found yourself in situations where you've been confronted by people and forced to justify the fact that you were dealing with something invisible that was causing you pain that they couldn't see?
1: Yeah, I think when I first had my kind of first kind of bouts of illness at where I'm working now, it was, it was a bit of an odd conversation to have in the sense that no, like I don't expect many people to have that. I know about sick cell so, and i like, le- less so in a kind of a professional environment. Hmm. So the first time I was like ill and I think I went straight to the hospital, arrived in um, calling up it was the morning, or that I was meant to be in work. So I think I'd been rushed to A and E, and I was in hospital, and I hadn't called in because I couldn't. Like in that m- mm-hmm. moment, it's it's, it's pain management first, rather than oh sugar, let me you know text me, text my line manager and say I'm not going to be in, say because I'm I'm in the hospital. Right. So I think when I first came back, it was you. It's an unauthorized absence. You were ill, or you didn't come in. You didn't let know. It's an authorized absence. Why didn't you come in? Why didn't you tell anybody? Blah 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 blah. Happened over Christmas as well. Happened over Christmas. I didn't know I was meant to be working, but um. So I so I didn't tell anybody that I was going to hospital. I was in hospital over two days. Um. But it wasn't like overnight. It was kind of like back in like two days, like a two day unit. Two separate occasions. Yeah. Um. So that was another night to justify. And my line mind was like, not my like my MD didn't necessarily believe me. She was kind of like, well...
0: Really? your MD? Yeah,
1: because yeah, she thought that I just... And and at some to some degree, I understand her reasoning behind it, but to some degree, it was kind of like, for me, it felt a bit offensive in the sense that... Yeah. I, that I, was, I, that I didn't know I was meant to work in one. Fine, okay, it will be, I was meant to work. Sorry, I apologize for that. But two, I was in hospital and even now, I don't feel that great.
0: Oh, when you say MD, you mean managing director. Yeah. I thought you meant your doctor.
1: <laughs> oh, medical no, no, no. Oh, okay. doctor. Ah, no. Nah. Ah.
0: Okay, no. Okay, so it you, you wasn't your doctor not believing you, it was your yeah. director not believing you, right? Yeah, Which I, is, I, I mean, that's I, pretty bad because when you're at that point, when you're saying you don't believe someone who has a legitimate illness, whether or not you know about it, that's kind of discriminatory yeah. behavior.
1: Yeah. So it was a bit weird. And I think, I, 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 again, I get her reason. I think, I I didn't think she meant it from a place of like malice or anything like that. I think it was, she, it's like, you know, post Christmas, people are meant to be back and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I hadn't been back. I'd been the hospital, didn't tell anybody. And then when I have come back, I've been, I've I've kind of like looked out of it because I've been ill. Mm. So when we had the conversation, it sounded like I wasn't remorseful because I was ill. So it was more like pain management. And I was like, Mm. Oh, um, I didn't know I was meant to be in and I was in hospital. Right. So she was like, so it was kind of like, for me, I was like, you're, you're chancing it. Basically you've tried your luck. Right. Not coming in. And then, you know,
0: and then was that the point at which you actually had to tell them that you have sickle cell?
1: It was before that, that I told my sick, so I'm not sure if my line manager told my MD, but I would assume okay. so. But there'd been days where I hadn't been in because of my sick Right. so. Right. I would, you know, I would assume that the conversation had been had, but. But that's, I, I mean,
0: at that point, it's also like, it's up to the company to be informing people who are in managerial positions so that yeah. they know not to discriminate against their employees. Yeah, so
1: it was, it was a weird one. I remember, I think that yeah. was, that for me, it was like, mm bit distasteful but I mean so yeah um it it was a fine and then then here I am now to be quite fair yeah
0: well I'm wondering if you've also experienced any like either privilege or undue prejudice within the medical system or otherwise particularly regarding self-identity like because you identify as like a cis man of color right you know, is that something where you've had to come across people where you feel like you've had to do extra explaining because of the way that you present or that if you presented differently, maybe people would believe you more or less?
1: It's, it's funny because I remember my mom taught me this and it was a weird one in the sense that mum said to me, um, she said, when you, when you go into ambulance, when you get to A&E, always cry like always Uh, cry because they take your
0: pain seriously.
1: Yeah. Because I have this really weird weird thing that when I'm in pain, I'm so good at managing it and I try to distract myself. So I'm always smiling and I'm trying to make jokes. I'm trying to talk normally. Mm. So people assume that like you say, he's smiling he's happy. You know, why is he here and E? why is he, you know, been in the ambulance? Why is he X, Y, Z all kinds of questions. Mm. And, like it will happen a lot. So when I was younger, because you know, when you're younger, no one really believes anything as a child. You know, they always just you to just inflating an issue. Sure, and I think it's happened a few times when I've been older. In the sense that, you know, it's I mean, you're fine, you, or you look fine. In the sense that you know, you don't look a wash of color, or you don't look, you know, like you're drowsy or dazed, or mm-hmm. you don't look physically weak. So that that's obviously come about, and it's it's been weird. And again, it's because as a male, like, you know, when they see you cry or when they see you show this emotion, that's when they're more taken aback. Because again, there's this, there's this stereotype or this belief that men are, are strong in every aspect. So men, when they're in pain, it's just, "Mm," Yeah, yeah, that's the most you'd get from a man. So when you see a guy coming to the hospital and he's crying his eyes out, oh, there must be something wrong here.
0: Right. It's interesting that you've had to learn to manipulate other people's perceptions in order to be taken seriously. And from the word go, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, it's, but it's, just, it's just, I don't know. Because a lot of it was because Sickle soul was not like, it originally, and especially when I was young, it wasn't like a documented, like known above the line. It wasn't, so everyone was like, Sickle Cell, what's that? And right. how I treat Sickle soul was a lot of the conversational it was like, okay, so so, so, what do you need? It has always been like, you know, the question back to you. And it's like, you, you're the medical professional here, so what do you yeah. need? What do I need?
0: This episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible Pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E M B R Labs.com. enter code INVISIBLE30, that's INVISIBLE30 at checkout, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me, well, in your experience, in, in what ways have your medical experiences within the NHS in the UK, in what ways have they been positive and in what ways does the system need improvement?
1: I think largely they've been positive. I think I seldom have a, a like a bad experience in hospital and I think, you know. That's great. Like it's again, maybe more so because I'm not in hospital as frequently as others. It's true. It's unlucky that when I, when I do go in or maybe guys hospital are so amazing, you know, that's probably why I'm there mm. that that they know the kind of, they know the protocols, they know the drills for someone sick. So it's, they they know, right. Okay. Let's give them morphine or oromorph to manage the pain until we find out what the actual issue is or the underlying issue. Mm. So there's like, there's seldom times that I've had, you know, negative responses, but from people that I've spoken to around okay. me and, you know, like, because the six are such a, such a, a rare disease, is that what I call it? Like a rare condition.
0: Is it a rare not, condition? Like, is it, is it um, categorized as a rare condition?
1: Um, Well, is just about being classed as a disability. Right. Just so, in 2020. Yeah, as in, just about as in, like there's like disability, um, disabled living allowance, which has now been changed to personal independent payments.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, and even if you apply that with circle, so you've got to, like you have to push it beyond belief to right. To you have to
0: prove that you're more. in the hospital a lot more than well, you
1: are. So even, uh, even that, it's you've got to go beyond that and say, you know, when you have those assessments when they come to your house, you've got to look physically ill at that point in time. Yeah. And we've circled so, like like I'm now, like I'm having a conversation. You know, I'm, you know, I'm you're fine, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm great. I'm swell. But I had this conversation with me last week. This time last week or two weeks ago, we weren't having this conversation because I could just about open my eyes. I could just about eat. Yeah. So
0: it was actually quite interesting because you and I were emailing over that time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: explaining like our mental health struggles to each other, you know, from your hospital bed. You were like, yeah. hey, I'm like in a dip right now, obviously. And I was having my own dip that was obviously not related to sickle cell, but like it was interesting.
1: It's it's this sort of sort of thing that you know everyone has those dips regardless of what mm-hmm. happens and that's work career life whatever happens you like you no know one is going to be one hundred percent all the time and I think because yeah. we're not machines we're not meant to be one hundred percent all the time we're meant to experience these and amazing. that's
0: also how sickle cell works it's like you're gonna yeah. have times when you're good and times when you're bad and to be assessed with the assumption that you have to be bad all the time, isn't going to help it's
1: you. Exactly that. So then there's times people have assessments and you know, that they're, they're fit as a fiddle, you know, they can lift weights, they can go gym, yeah. but then come back tomorrow and that person's on crutches. So it's, it's, it's hard to kind of, when they do this, there's assessments, it's hard to have the condition just, just ready to go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cause it's not something you can just call yeah. up when you want. And who wants to call it up anyway? Cause you don't want to feel that way.
1: Exactly. And and it's hard, it's hard to fake because you know, there's obviously there's well the main- pressure
0: that you even have to fake it in order to be taken seriously in that regard is kind of insane.
1: Exactly, it's, 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 such, it's such stringent rules, and mm-hmm. unless you're seen to be physically and visibly like you know disabled, then it it, it wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't qualify for it, and that's 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 the biggest struggle that a lot of us with 6 on in in Britain are having that yeah. we're applying for for what is classified as ours you know something that's meant to help disability
0: insurance yeah and then you're not getting help when you need it
1: yeah so yeah it's it's a it's a bit of pill to swallow but again like there's sometimes we try to help people that especially with the sound circle we've met someone that you know nhs that helps fill out these forms even amongst the group there's people that have they've done these assessments and they now put together these packs for other people six or to help them get better at it and help them fill in those forms and get the right support they need throughout the course of the you know, their application.
0: Yeah. So let's talk more about the Sound of Sickle. We know that it was sort of born out of your conversations with people who sort of came up to you while you were um, helping out at the hospital and, and speaking to physicians there and everything. Um, what tell us about the work that you do with the sound of sickle. I know there's a big push to get more black blood donors. Um, That's like your biggest thing right now, but um, yeah, yeah, tell us all about it.
1: Uh, Sound of sickle is, is, uh, is my baby. I think, Mm -hmm. I think legacy is a big thing for me. And I think this is what I want my legacy to be, to be like when, when people think all said and done, it's like, what's the sound of sickle was, this is what it is. And it was done by these set of people. Mm -hmm. So um, sound of sickle in short, it's, it's um, it's three things, and there's three things that we want to achieve. It's one to increase awareness amongst um, Black people around um, sickle cell, and that we say Black people because they are primarily affected, and those they're the, like the main people that are going to be suffering from this or going to be impacted by it. So it's to educate them first and foremost, and get them mm-hmm. thinking about it as a long-term, you know, condition as a long-term yeah. illness. Yeah. And then two, it's to increase Black blood donors because in the UK there's black blood donors make up for 3% of the overall donor base.
0: Wow. It's very low, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean,
0: and uh, why specifically black blood donors? So the people because, who
1: are listening understand. yeah, so um, blood, blood donations is really weird in the sense that every ethnicity, every kind of like group has more um, genomes that are, that are prevalent in, in that blood group and that are similar yeah that are similar so um people with black um of black heritage um have the ro gene which is more prevalent than theirs. Mm-hmm. so whereas people in um the asians um you know um ethnics are blah, 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 have the talismia gene which is slightly different but again that that's more prevalent in that in those kind of communities and 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 that um that that group Mm -hmm. so every kind of group has different um blood groups which are prevalent amongst them and relative to them and this means that
0: if you find a donor who's genetically closer to your blood type that the blood will transfuse better and like you'll take it it in your system better
1: yeah would match better and some of these um these RO genes would have positive, have positive impacts on on your blood. Mm-hmm. Something that you may be lacking internally that someone else has that won't necessarily attack your blood and your white blood cells won't think of them as intruders. Mm-hmm. Whereas right. you know, think of any other other, other you know um, blood groups and other um, ethnic groups have, have blood and obviously they will have matching blood. But they will well, have like if these. Try to give you
0: my blood; it wouldn't work as well.
1: Essentially, yeah, like it, it, it works fine. But again, there's like, there's there's going above and beyond. And essentially, right. when you match when you match closely it's that above and beyond that that's always better. Mm. I mean, you can, you can get like a A plus service you can get a triple A plus service essentially. And then and right. that's it. It's the triple A plus service that, that everyone's looking for. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. And then you, you're also educating about all different types of sickle cell. So can you talk us through the different kinds of sickle cell that exist? Cause it's not just sickle cell anemia. It's not just the one yeah. thing.
1: Yeah. 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 It's weird. It's, it's in the sense that I didn't know this until I I went to one of these meetings and I had mm-hmm. these conversations it's that there's so many different subgroups and variations of sickle cell that many of them just aren't known about. So, there's mm. like, like we said, that there's thalassemia um, common in um, other blood groups. It's there's sickle cell thalassemia, which is a variation of sickle cell and the thalassemia gene combined together. Again, mm. it's still a branch of sickle cell, but it's different. Then there's SS, which is um, sickle cell disease, mm. and then the sickle, um, SC, which is sickle cell anemia, which is slightly different. Mm. And one SS is seen as more severe,
0: and you've and got SS, right?
1: And SC yeah. is seen as less severe, but again, there's still impacts from that. Yeah, um I'm trying to think. There's,
0: uh, but there's the the idea here is that there are a lot more different kinds of. Just having sickle cell isn't. That's not the yeah. end of the conversation.
1: Yeah, and and that's and that's that's the second thing is that we're trying to educate people on genome types, and mm-hmm. and okay. genotypes are oh what. Like everyone knows their blood type and everyone's like, wow, my blood type is O-pos- O-positive or, you know, A-negative or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the, the main ones that everyone's looking for. I know that I am um, O-positive, but mm-hmm. I have sickle cell and, you know, there you go. That's the difference is is the genome. So there's Right. And is it condition.
0: typical for people to be getting tested for their genome type when they're getting blood tests as well?
1: So, no, Not. when you get a blood test, you're just tested for your blood type and you know your blood type and that's kind of
0: you mm-hmm. know,
1: boxed off. And you wouldn't so, necessarily saying yeah. like, you so, if find... you want
0: to know your genome type, is that something you have to ask extra for your, yeah. do- from your doctor? Yeah. Interesting. So, so that's got... not something that's just offered.
1: No, it's not. You're not said, "Hey, here's, here's your genotype?" You know, you have to. You actually have to intentionally find out your genotype, and um, it's not. It's not difficult. You, you know, when you go to your GP say, "I want to find out my genotype," and you know, they say, "Fine," and they just do simple blood test. Maybe a week later, they'll find out and they'll come back and you know tell you what your genome type is. But, but that's also
0: something for. that's like all those treatments and tests are covered under the NHS, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Huge th- difference to this country.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I imagine like the thought of having to like pay to find out whether you've got sickle cell trait is something that's just mind boggling to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of those tests, if they're not offered as standard, then you're liable. Yeah. yeah. Over here at least. Yeah. And And what about like the future of sickle cell treatment as well? Cause right now we're talking about blood transfusions and they're yeah. all, and we need more blood donors. But, you know, there is talk right now, um, like sort of the buzzy conversation around sickle cell is that there appears to be a cure emerging, right? That's using stem cells, I believe. So can you talk a little bit about that and whether it's something you would consider and why?
1: um, Stem cells are very, it's a very interesting topic in the sense that Mm. I personally, and again, this is a personal opinion, I'm against it purely because, as it stands, it's a high mortality rate, and that's why it's not offered as as a given. Right. And it's not get offered, and so only offered to those who have extreme, like like on the far end of the spectrum. um, They're dealing with sickle cell, like on a day, every single day, they they might have a crisis, right. and, and that's how severe it is for them. And stem cell again, you have to find someone who, who there's. There's not many stem cell donors in the first place. Mm. So that's, 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 the, that's the hardest part. You think finding blood donors is hard. Stem cell donors is, is even rarer than that. Mm. And then the the process is extremely painful in the sense that they have to go into your bone marrow. Mm. And, you know, and inject, some people hate needles and the needle for, you know, stem cell or, or bone marrow injection is is a lot thicker, a lot longer, a lot more painful. Right. You get it. I think it's in, four, it's in both your forearms and in your legs. Mm. And basically they inject these these stem these stem cells into basically where you generate your stem cells and they're meant to work together. And essentially your, your stem cells what is basically the foundation where all the DNA is held. So if you're basically resetting that mm. or you're modifying some aspects of it, then you
0: But can there has the, been some success. There have been a few cases. I, yeah, th-
1: there's been success of it. But again, it's far and few between. There's quite mm. a high mortality rate as it stands
0: right so it's not something that you would consider right now but it's good to know that that's an option that's available for people who are dealing with crises yep. that are every day and and really yep. severe
1: yeah 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 i yeah. think i think it's offered a lot more in america than it is here in the uk
0: mm-hmm. imagine a how lot. expensive it is here though <laughs> I,
1: imagine. I mean i think when i heard i think the figure was like a hundred thousand somewhere
0: but yeah and i don't know and it depends on someone's health coverage i'm actually having someone on for me
1: like it's a lot easier for me to manage on a day to it's day. It's a lot easier. I don't think I have, and I'm grateful. And I think that's why I do advocacy so much because if I'm in a position that I can be healthy and use the fact that I am healthy, but I do have cell to, to go and be an advocate and speak about it on, on behalf of those who are in hospital every week or every two weeks or in hospital all the time. It's, it's, it's nice that you have a mouthpiece or knowing that someone cares about what you're going through and is actually experiencing it. So I'm not talking from, you know, a research point of view or like a doctor's point of view. It's from, this is my life. So there's a lot of relatables that you can have between yourself and someone else.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a really good point to make. Um, so tell us about the future of The Sound of Sickle and what you guys are working toward and, and where people can find the organization and find what you're up
1: to. It's, it's crazy. I think it's... It's
0: growing fast.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's taken off a lot quicker than I expected, and I think I'm grateful for it. But I'm also really scared in the sense that you know, when you need something to your child, you just want to grow, and you like, you know, yeah. you, want to, you want to shelter it a bit and make sure it goes and does the right things. Right thing. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean, it's, it's exactly like a child you want your child to grow up with the best morals, the best principles, and go and do exactly what you told them to do and live like a very a virtuous and upstanding lifestyle. Yeah. And then, you know, it's something that's it's, it's out of my control. It's, it's still within my oh. control, but it's a lot of out of my control. And so it's, it's forced me to change my.
0: Your expectations. One, the content,
1: yeah. The, my expectation. And one the content that I put on my own personal, like personal profiles, it's, I can't be advocate for some, something like sick or cell and then be be caught in a silly scandal of doing something silly you know what right. I mean, it's, you,
0: you oh so you've mind. had to like calm yourself down essentially yeah,
1: because, <laughs> because i was follow those kids on twitter on instagram i'll just put out content and not think sure. anything about it and i think you can do that i think when you don't have anything to worry about you can do that because mm-hmm. i mean why wouldn't you online you know you're not really held accountable that's what so being a
0: teenager is about i think
1: yeah and you know you have that freedom when you're young and i think the older i've got the more i kind of try to rein it in but then once this kicked off it's now like oh, this is TSS, it's the sound of circle, and it's related to Chris directly. So what Chris does, this this represents the sound of sickle. Yeah. And that's when you've got to find a balance. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I'm... That I'm well, minding.
0: maybe in some ways it'll also help, like, rein you in in terms of, like, you know, whether you're partying too hard and, like, it might ha- it might yeah. have caused a, a crisis, you know, so instead you're actually avoiding it by sort of reining yourself in, as you say.
1: It has. It's 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 actually changed a lot of the way the way I put out content online, the way I manage that myself and
0: And it makes the way you take yourself more seriously too, in a way.
1: Yeah, I think I think I feel like now like a professional, like I'm a businessman sort of thing, like this is me, the CEO with my suit and tie sort of thing. <laughs> but
0: That's you don't I have too, to wear a then. suit and tie to be a CEO, which but we're both proving best. right now. <laughs>
1: Yes. Yes. As I, out, <laughs> as, I, as I wear my vest top, my night yeah. vest top.
0: I'm like in my house coat,
1: so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, professional, not professional, doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah the professional is the work you put out and that's all that matters.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if people want to find the work you're doing, is it best to check you guys out on Twitter?
1: Yeah. I, mean, I think Instagram and Twitter actually, yeah, both. Mm-hmm. We put our content on there equally. I think Instagram has a lot more. It's probably our, our, the better base for us. Mm-hmm. I think oh. Twitter is better for me. So if you want like more direct updates from me and the Sound of Sickle, Twitter, Twitter. but if you want a general update, Instagram is probably the best place and it's where we put up all of our social posts. It's where all the content we put up. A lot of stuff that I've done as spawning from the Sound of Sickle in terms of speaking at events Mm -hmm. and Christmas, we did the Face of Sickle campaign where we got people with Sickle Cell to just Speak about it for themselves. They're one liners. We had videos. We had still images and quotes from them and how they feel about sickle cell. I think it's for me, it's always good to put a face to a condition that is not necessarily seen on the surface because then you start to relate and say, Oh, I know that person, or I've, you know, that statement sounds familiar. Oh my God, is that how they feel? I think you start to relate to it more on a human level than, you know, just a, oh, okay, well, that's that and that's in the distance sort of thing. you you get you get involved a bit more and it's it's just it's lovely
0: yeah absolutely and you're connecting more and more to the community and not just the sickle cell community but like the broader chronic illness community which is wide and varied and quite beautiful and and super inclusive which is really nice so um i and of course we'll link to you know the twitter and the instagram feeds for the sound of sickle on the episode page so people can find you guys um, as well, but um, we're heading sort of into the end of this interview, and I like to wrap up with a couple oh, yeah. of top three lists. I know, oh. <laughs> um, so <laughs> don't cry; it won't be long. Oh, so, <laughs> so don't leave me. But um, the so I want to start with the first top three list. I'm wondering what your top three tips would be for someone. Who is living with chronic illness? Maybe they suspect something's off and they haven't been diagnosed yet. Maybe they've got a sickle cell diagnosis. Maybe they have a sickle cell trait and they're not sure if they'll pass it on to their kids, you know. Or maybe they're a loved one um, or even a doctor. What would you recommend? Top three tips for people who are living that chronic illness life and and you know diving into sickle cell the way you have.
1: I think for me, knowledge is key. I think read and relate your experiences to what you've read. I think yeah. those, those are two things. That's what I learned the best, I think. Experiencing it myself and knowing my, like, you know, like, oh, okay, well, this is how I've dealt with it, but then reading and seeing other people's experiences or reading and finding out what the NHS has to say about something we called WebMD, which always says you're already dead. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs>
0: Everyone says, don't don't look up to anything on WebMD. <laughs> yeah,
1: because everything is like, da-da-da-da-da, It's like, oh, okay. About that one. The fine that.
0: print isn't fine enough.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think it's like, you know, oh, I've cut my finger, you will die in four days. Oh,
0: whoa, Yeah. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I think knowledge is power, I think. Always read and relate your experiences to what you've read. Um, personally for sickle cell, speak to others or seek out others with sickle cell because I found out that speaking to others and creating the group chat that I've created for um, for TSS mm. has helped me, but also help the people in the group chat because there are times when like, like, like we all talked about earlier, that you feel mentally down. And if you come to a group chat and you just, you just, brain dump you just speak your mind Mm. there's about there's about 30 of us and we're really supportive maybe even more than 30 now Maybe like 40. Yeah and And a few of you
0: were on the the dock together like yeah "Yeah, when I'm having a shitty day I, I send a message and then Chris gets back to me and like it's just nice you have a sounding board.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that's it. I think that's what I want to do is like, for me, I know how, when I was growing up with it, it was, it was literally nobody. And I think once you start to find people and have that conversation, one, you're put at ease because it's not you, you're no longer alone. And you, Mm. you can, when you feel shitty, you can go to someone else and say, Hey, I feel shitty. And they're like, well, I feel shitty too. Let's be shitty together. You have that conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Like it makes you feel more human, makes you feel more normal because you Mm. always feel not abnormal, but you, you always know that you're not the same as everyone else when you have one of these conditions. Mm. Oh. And then the third thing is know your body. Knowing yeah. your body oh. is, is like, like top one, like, for me, is once you know your body, you know how to deal with things. You know what's normal, you know what's not normal, and you know how to manage in between. Like, for me, I don't get headaches. So when I do get headaches, it's like, mm, maybe I should drink a lot more fluid and then take paracetamol and then sit for a bit and see how that works. Or if I know that I can feel like, like you, could, I can preemptively feel a crisis coming on. And I wouldn't know that if I didn't start paying attention to my body and start taking note of when these little things happen. Or Are you I able
0: can, to avoid a crisis when you feel it coming on too? Like if yes. you feel the little triggers and you can go, well, let me just fix that.
1: Yeah. That's how I've stayed at a hospital for so long is that I can feel these triggers and say like, right, okay.
0: Let's up
1: deal my, with it. Up, my, <laughs> up my fluid intake start taking the paracetamol, the ibuprofen, the codeine, and attack it before it starts to get severe.
0: Absolutely. So last question for you. It's another top three list. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, top three things, this is a good one for you especially, because I know you like to live your life regardless. Top three things that give you unbridled joy, that despite ways in which you've altered your life to manage symptoms and crises, what are top three things that like, just make you so happy you would never give up? They could be comfort activities when you're in a crisis. They could be guilty pleasures. They could be just things that make you happy. What are your top three?
1: Top one is my beautiful PlayStation. My PlayStation. <laughs> Any, anytime that I'm ill, it's like, right, let's take some painkillers. Let's get this bad boy on and let's forget about it. I think for me it's always forgetting about pain. Like trying to forget about pain and distracting myself is how I how I've managed to deal with my pain for so long. That's that's one for me personally. Two is I get really I, I take like a lot of pride in drinking juice, like drinking squash. <laughs> like
0: when you say squash, like, so for Americans, that's um like concentrated juice that you mix with water and it's yeah, yeah like yeah. a it sort of gives you flavoured water.
1: Yeah, yeah, essentially. So Ribena is, is Ribena, like Ribena, yeah.
0: Ribena, so, it's a, that's a big favorite. If anyone has a British connection, they should know Ribena. <laughs> yeah,
1: but essentially that Ribena. It's like a blackcurrant
0: um, flavored syrup. Oh great! <laughs> he loves it. He loves it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. um, yeah. So, I, like, because I'm meant to drink water um, so much, but what's I I can drink one. I think I love water like to the point it's my number one drink but sometimes just some nice ice cold squash just mm, goes down the tree and just sit back. and I just, my jug here, I'm going to, I'm going to finish it soon. I'm just going to like like look, look.
0: Yeah. You've been drinking like the I, juice during this, this call. <laughs> yep.
1: just, just yeah. That's what I love.
0: Yeah. And then the
1: third one is I think I've only appreciated this more now. And I think I've appreciated it the most when I was, when I was my recent admission is friends like, friends, as much like, weirdly enough, you always, like, anyone with any form, just wants to deal with themselves and just says, yeah, whatever, let me just get this over and done with. And then when you start to realise that people actually care about you, about what you're doing, your health, every, every aspect, you then start to think a little bit more, and you enjoy those times. And I think when my friends came over to um, Stephen Hospital, there was, for the first week I was there, there was someone there every single day. And it was, it was great mm. because you now have a reason to kind of like, like, you look at them like, actually, I want to be out of you I want to be in front of you guys. And it's kind of like that strength. It's like, it kind of preps you up a little bit and says, right, let me just force my body. Because a lot of illness is, is mental. And, you know, once you kind of get your head around whatever's going on with your body, you can then start saying, you know what, I'm just not going to defeat me or I'm not going to be, like, you know, down by it. Or you start to have a positive mindset or maybe a defiant mindset, whatever, whatever kind of, kind of, you know, gets you going you kind of get up and say, well, actually, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy it. And just kind of, and you start to say, well, I'm going to discharge myself in two days' time. I'm going to discharge myself in three days' time or whatever. Mm-hmm. You start to set deadlines. You start to tell your body, look, mate, we've we got to hit this because I don't know what I'm going to do without it. And that's what happened in this last one. That I just I I got better. I said, I'm going to get discharged. Today. I'm going to discharge myself today because I don't want to be in hospital anymore because it's boring. Mm-hmm. It's this, it's that. It's all kind of things negative. And when you're trying to about people that are ill, you kind of start to feel a little bit. Ew, a little bit ill, do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Like, like when I'm in hospital and, you know, obviously we, we have bays and the bays are only separated by, you know, curtains and it's not, you know, private or anything like that. It's not as fun. So when you do have these bays and your hair and the person, the right, you know, screaming or crying, you feel a little bit down. You kind of start to be like, Oh no, i like, it gets you upset. And then you start to think, why my hair is my illness that bad. I'm I ill. And then you can, you can you down a, like a dark and terrible path. And, Friends are those are those lights that say, actually, no, what, mate? this is what you should really be looking at, because this is who you surround yourself Mm -hmm. with regularly. And
0: remind you of who you are. It sounds like really, you know, that your identity isn't your illness. It's just a part of who you are. It isn't all of who you are.
1: Exactly. It's, it's not a defining factor. Obviously it's, it's, it impacts you, but it's not a defining factor. And that's mm. that, especially for this one. And there was points where it was real, real lows. And, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and it's like, right, time to take bloods at eight o'clock, about like 8 a.m. And so I just want to sleep until nine. Like, please. Mm. They come in, they're taking bloods and it hurts every single time. Mm. Sometimes they're poking in the wrong places. And, you know, it's just like you're just you just get down because like why me is, is what you're always asking. Why me? And then your friends, they don't see you. They don't see your own. So they just see you as like, you know, this all-encompassing great person. Who, you know, they must think you're great if they're there. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd like to believe. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you start to kind of, you you draw positives from them being positive and looking at you and be like, oh, it's so sad seeing you like this. And you're like, actually, yeah, it's sad seeing you like this. Yeah, I don't want you to be sad for me because... You know, I'm not sad for you right now. I'm happy. Do you know what I mean? I'm happy that you're here. So let me be happy and I'll start to tell my body to be whatever it needs to be. And you start to you work better once you like once you get in line with your mind.
0: I think that's really beautifully said. Any last words for our listeners tuning in, learning about sickle cell today, Chris?
1: Uh donate blood. Donate. Do
0: blood. Yeah. Especially if you're in the Afro Caribbean community. Yep. Donate.
1: Any community, Africa, obviously, I'm going to tell you guys today, but I think every yeah. everybody blood at least once. I think is, it's like, it's like when people think, oh, I can, what what can I do charitable? What 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 can I do? That's you know, great. And this
0: costs well. you nothing, and it doesn't take long. Yeah, like, I mean, and you usually uh, get a cookie.
1: Yeah, cookie. <laughs> bris, you get some juice again? Everyone has a bit of squash. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, and like they generally care for you during that process. It's 15 minutes. They do that. They vet you extensively beforehand. Mm. And then you get there, they they plug you in and they, you know, they inject you and they say, make a fist. And it's 15 minutes sat and you can be on your phone. You can watch me. You can listen to it. You can nap if you want. And then you're good to go. Obviously, and you can
0: actually minutes. you can legitimately save a life. You can really contribute to people's wellness that way.
1: I took eight units, nine units in total. Mm. which is nine people donating blood when I was in hospital. And it's just wow. to think that if people aren't donating blood as regularly and frequently as they are, then I wouldn't be able to receive that blood, which could, God knows what would happen. I'm not going to even think about that, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, that's the worst case scenario. And you start to, so, yeah, I mean, it's a little thing. If people want to donate to charity, just donate blood. It's, it's free.
0: Absolutely. Get, and you can really change your life. Soon.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been so awesome talking to you, and I hope that when I'm next in London, we can hang out. And when you're over in LA, you better let me know.
1: Absolutely. When you're in London, drop me an email, give me a shout, and I can show you. you. (laughs) I know the cool spots. If you're into like you know tech and games and drink
0: sure mostly the drinking
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone loves a good drink I know all the great like, Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I learned
0: how to drink in the UK I've forgotten a little bit but I learned how
1: <laughs> you know, I, should, I shouldn't be advocating drinking because obviously I'm sick but I mean I'm a drink whatever live in your
0: life live well much. thank you so much it's so great to meet you and um, you really excited to me, yeah excited to watch the sound of sickle continue to grow and do great things
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was actually been a joy speaking to you.
0: That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at Seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.